Welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Today's interview guest is Michael Keane of Everton. We've had some great guests lately, including Michael Parkhurst, Hope Solo, and Felipe Cardenas. So check those out. But first, let's talk. U.S. men's national team won Qatar nil in the Gold Cup semifinals. Late goal by Jossie Zardes puts the U.S. through to the final. And I am joined now by my friend Chris Whittingham, who you, you can hear on Univision, Inter-Miami Radio, the Dan Lebetard Show, and the Chelsea Miked Up podcast. Chris, thanks for joining me. How are you? Doing all right. I feel like in your run of the guests before you introduce me should be Matt Turner in that lineup for the foreseeable future. <laughs> I feel like people should get to know him, which, by the way, that, that is a great interview and you should check it out. But also, Matt Turner's great. And a lot of people have been telling us that Matt Turner has been great in New England for a while. And I'm like, yeah, you know, sure. But I guess he kind of have to do it in a U.S. shirt before I kind of realized, oh, yeah, maybe he should have gotten way more consideration for being in full national team sooner. And look, I'm so glad that he's gotten the chances to make these massive saves as he did tonight. That was just what saved the U.S. in the first half of this game because Qatar created a lot of chances. Two big saves by Turner in the first half. You have to give him a little credit for having a role in the penalty going over the bar, and and that really was the... the no, that all goes to Kellen Acosta for me. His, <laughs> his, his shithousery was top level. <laughs> top level shithousery. Oh, Jesus. Like, I think the game stopped. There was no play for about eight or nine minutes, you know, because first <laughs> you had the Qatari player go down, then you had the VAR, then you had all the shithousery, it was it was very pure Concacaf uh, at its finest, and then just a terrible penalty from Qatar that goes over the bar. Was he trying a panenka? What was going on there? Yeah, I don't know if that's a chip, if that's <laughs> going for top corner, but it looked like he was passing to a guy in row three. Like that's how it came off. It's the least quality chip that I've ever seen attempted for a penalty. Truly terrible finishing from Qatar in this game, which is unfortunate for them because they did... I, I haven't seen the expected goals. I figure they have several expected goals in this game. You mentioned Matt Turner um, with just a, a terrific game. I think this is going to be a talking point now moving forward. Should Matt Turner be the number one keeper for the United States... And it's only going to continue being a, a question if the other two guys, Horvath and Stefan, are not the number one keepers at their club. Now, uh, Horvath just signed with Nottingham Forest. Do we know much about his situation? I, I don't. I mean, I would presume that he'll at least get a chance to start, but he's coming up being a, a backup keeper in Belgium. I don't know if you're necessarily, you know, Nottingham Forest, you know, who would have designs maybe getting towards a promotion play. Hey, we're going to sign a backup from Belgium and, and, he, and he's going to lead the way. So I imagine he'd at the very least have to compete for his job. So just an amazing shot stopping. And like you said, uh, listen to that Matt Turner interview if you can, because he gets into detail about his shot stopping ability, what's going on there, what he thinks is, is most important. But he is... Just a terrific story, very unlikely that he's gotten to this point, but he was a game saver for the U.S. tonight. And then the goal eventually comes. I think, you know, it was in the 85th, 86th minute. Uh, Zardis put himself in a good position. Joe Acchini, who had just come on for Matthew Hoppy, and I, of course, had questioned that on Twitter because I thought Hoppy was the only attacker providing something different for the U.S., and Hoppy was upset to be taken off, too. 
Um, but Joe Acchini with a nice give and go with Eric Williamson, who I've wanted to see more of in this tournament, and slides the pass to Zardis for the finish. And it did seem like Qatar tired out in the second half, a little bit like their last game where they struggled in the second half uh, to hold off El Salvador. Um, but how do you feel about this win for the U.S.? Well, it is a major a major tournament, we should say. Um, it's a team that is not a first-choice U.S. team. I thought Qatar put forth what they've shown throughout the tournament, uh, which is they're a team that is incredibly well-drilled. They know their style of play. They can beat you with and without the ball. They're good in transition. They're tidy in possession. They play through U.S. press on numerous occasions. Uh, you mentioned the XG battle. It finished Qatar with over two, which I believe includes the penalty. So uh, 2.03 to 0.86. So they had wow. the better of the chances. And I, I, But I also think that the U.S., really after the missed penalty, and also we should give credit here to Greg Berhalter, he makes the changes that change the game. I think, you know, Jossi Zardes was better than Daryl DK was. Christian Roldan came in and played well. Nicholas Joachini came on and played well. Eric Williamson is involved, if not in probably, could have won, should have won a penalty in the sequence before. Right. Um, the, the the goal then plays the one-two that, that builds up to that chance. Joachini came on and played well. So I think Greg Berhalter's subs for a second straight match have come on and, and and change the game. I guess the question, if you're looking ahead a little bit towards the final, is are these players who are coming on and changing the game from the bench, should they be starting? I was kind of surprised, given how poor the first half performance, first 60-minute performance was against Jamaica, that Berhalter didn't make any changes from Saturday to Thursday. So I, I would have thought that he would have made some changes, but uh, we'll see now, given that Zardes has scored, given that Williamson came on and put in a good quarter of an hour, in my view, if he gets inserted into the starting lineup. Yeah, I mean, what I would suggest, and this is just me talking here, is the first group of three subs that we saw tonight was Zardes, Roldan, and Cannon. And they put in more minutes I don't know if you take a guy who's come on coming on for 10 minutes at the end of a game and suddenly say to him, we want you to go 70 to 90 um, in, the ne- in, in a final. So that's the only reason why I would hesitate on, on those other guys. But it's not that Cannon or Roldan even had amazing games coming on as subs tonight, but I do think they should get serious consideration, as should Zardes when it comes to starting in the final. We're recording this right as Mexico-Canada is starting. I'm thinking it's going to be Mexico. Who knows? Um, but uh, I, I think Daryl DK has had a, a couple of games in a row now, three, you could say, after the Martinique game where he was, he's been subpar. And, and I, I would like to see Zardes start up front in the final. Um, I would like to see, you know, I, I think Roldan, for me, is a guy I would rather have out there than Buzio uh, to start at this point. And I don't think Shaq Moore, I know he had the goal uh, against Canada. I, I, I still think Reggie Cannon, if he's at anything close to full strength, is the player I would pick to start at right back. I agree. I think Reggie Cannon came on and kind of added impetus into that forward attack as well. I think Cannon is kind of more lauded for his defensive ability, but I think he joins the attack pretty well. So I think he came on and made a real impact. Just in general, the impetus completely changed once those guys came on and you saw a more direct style of play. I would just kind of be curious 
why it takes 60 minutes for the U.S. to kind of grow into the game in that way. Why is it that when they're trying to, as Greg Berhalter likes to say, his philosophy is disorganize the opponent with the ball. When they have the ball, they don't disorganize the opponent at all. And I'd just kind of be curious as to why that happens, whether it's not enough cutting edge with the passing, whether or not the system has been figured out, uh, whether or not teams are just kind of waiting to break in transition, which there is spaces to break against the United States. So I'd just kind of be curious as to why it's not until the U.S. kind of plays a bit more direct, forces the issue, and kind of goes at their opponents, puts them under pressure, and they, they can't seem to handle it, that that only comes 70 minutes into the game and when substitutions have been made and when the opponent has worn down a little bit. I'm not sure that's going to work against Mexico, um, but when the U.S. have the ball, they're just not dangerous enough. I don't know if if that's just because they don't have have enough quality on the pitch or enough kind of attack-minded players that can use the ball kind of in tighter spaces to run at players. I don't know what it is, but either way, that's something for Greg Berhalter to figure out before the final on Sunday. I think there's a chance that Buzio and DK got the start in the semifinal because this was a real test from Burhalter to find out what they're they're made of. And I think if I think it's even possible that Burhalter realizes that those guys are not Zardes and Roldan, but they're also younger guys. He wanted to give them the opportunity in this situation. I don't think they showed much. Uh, I think DK had basically botched his best chance uh, in this game. Really nice pass for Matthew Hoppy, who continues to be a good setup guy. Like, in a way that, like, he's a center forward naturally at this point. But you know, I want to see him play there at some point before the end of the tournament. Yeah, I mean, it, it's what's interesting is when we had Matthew Hoppy on the uh, an interview guest, uh, people should listen to that interview too. And he talked about how he's not a... Uh, he didn't start out as a, a center forward. He had to be sort of cajoled into being a center forward. So he has, over time in his young career, played as a midfielder, played as a, a, a setup guy. And he's showing me a heck of a lot more than the other winger, Paul Ariola, has in terms of being dangerous, good passes, and, and unbalancing a defense with unpredictable moves. And, and, I think Matthew Hoppy is one of the winners uh, of this tournament for the U.S., just in terms of sort of how, if you're looking for guys, I don't think he's like a starter for the A-team, but I think he's a guy you can call in for World Cup qualifying. Agreed. I, I think there's a few players that have shown in this tournament tournament that they can be. We kind of shouted out uh, the two center backs in recent podcasts. Um, I thought Sands kind of started in a bit of a wobbly way, but I think eventually kind of grew into the game and is a bit more steady. I think Miles Robinson has been the player who, if you're most saying, could start the first World Cup qualifying match just because of the shortage of options at center back, I'd absolutely put him as probably the favorite along with Turner, um, but I guess there's kind of enough competition in Stefan that maybe you think Stefan uh, could start that game. But I, I honestly think if you made me guess right now, opening day lineup against Canada in World Cup qualifying, I'm saying that Miles Robinson is starting next to John Brooks, given how well uh, he's played. But, um, I mean, un- unless Chris Richards has a really good start to the Bundesliga season with Hoffenheim, but that's kind of unclear. But but getting back to Hoppy and just the overall forward situation, um, I think I agree with you on Hoppy. Like, I want to see him play as a center forward in this team just because that's where he plays at club level. But at the very, even when he's playing poorly, it's with the energetic creativity, disorganizing the opponent, creating a spark mentality. Um, And I think on DK, 
even though he misses that, or even though he doesn't score that chance, I don't think that necessarily has to do with why you don't start him in the next game. I know, obviously, the goal of the center forward is to score, and Zardes could have had a bad game, but he scored the winning goal, um, and so he kind of becomes the hero. But DK, in the buildup, he had a couple of passes that are five yards behind its intended target, couldn't settle touches, wasn't making dangerous runs, just wasn't putting himself about in any way. And then at one point, his grimacing looked like it was in real agony with the shoulder injury that he picked up earlier in the tournament. And so I'd be stunned if he starts the next game. And I think it shows, number one, he's been playing club football for a year straight after never having played professional football. He might just be exhausted and worn down. Um, But second, that Look, these are incredibly young players, and we talk about their youth all the time as a reason to be encouraged, but also it can be a reason why when you're watching them at full professional and full international level, you go, there's some growing to do there. Gianluca Busio has some growing to do. Delotique has some growing to do, and that's okay because they're so incredibly young. Yeah, I agree with you on most of that stuff. Um, There was some slander of Mark McKenzie in what you just said because, by the way, who's our guest coming on Monday? Um, (laughs) I wish you had told me that. <laughs> but uh, he's already started his season in uh, in Belgium, and in you know I know he had uh, you know a mistake uh, early on in the Nations League final, but uh, came back from that I thought, and and I I think he's certainly in the mix when it comes to being a potential starter for those those first three World Cup qualifiers. But I I, I do agree with your point. I think Miles Robinson has more of a candidacy now than he did before. Uh, and and Sands, I, I thought Sands had a pretty rough game tonight. Um, you know, conceded the penalty. Um, and, and more than that, just wasn't as sharp. You know, he, he had a, a pretty bad giveaway early in this game that Qatar, as was often the case, couldn't fully take advantage of. Um, and I... I think Sands for the first, what, four games of this tournament was sort of the revelation, and he he still can be a revelation in this tournament, but I don't think this game was his finest hour, and he's a young guy. Yeah, and this was, I, I like, I was concerned heading into the Jamaica match, particularly against a team that was going to, you know, hit on the break, of him playing as a center back in a four, because in his club career, he's only played as either a holding midfield player or the base of a back three, very rarely as a center back in a four. And that's a completely different responsibility. And I thought he incre- he handled himself so incredibly against Jamaica that I thought, okay, this is going to be really good. But uh, there was a good chance for them where he's like completely backed off and caught in no man's land and getting turned the wrong way. And eventually, I guess in his step, kind of forced the shot the wrong way. Um, the deflection off him is what nearly leads to a goal. So I, I, it was, but those incidents for me came early, and I thought as the U.S. kind of grew into the game, they had some fires to put out, and Sands kind of handled himself well. But yeah, I mean, overall, you're looking at the performance and going, there's some mistakes that could, you know, lead to some real problems in the future. You don't want to. Some of his giveaways against Mexico will go punished in a way that they weren't against Qatar. Yeah. I also think back to a tweet I made the other night, which was this U.S. team is too polite. They need Hmm. someone to be in that Weston McKinney role to get in the face of an opponent, to be, to cause some fear in opponents. Jermaine Jones, I guess, is the classic uh, person with that role in the history of the (laughs) U.S. men's national team. And Kellen Acosta must have read my tweet 
because this <laughs> this entire game, like from the start, he was in the face of these Qatari guys, or the ref was in Acosta's face telling him to cut it out, and he just kept on going. And I kind of like this version of Kellen Acosta. Yeah, and I think he is kind of growing into the role of holding midfield player because you have to remember that he doesn't really play that very much either or hadn't played it much for FC Dallas, nor does he play it for the Colorado Rapids. Greg Berhalter clearly in one of the European-based camps asked him, hey, can you give this a go? We need some cover here. And in order to play in, in the base of midfield, you have to have some steel. You have to have some some hard tackles. And I, clearly the off the ball or, you know, I, I, I guess after the whistle stuff, he's got in abundance, right? He can get into a face with the best of them. Clearly has got the best penalty uh, put off tactics, I guess, maybe outside of Emiliano Martinez of Argentina. Like, there's nobody in the world I'd rather have trying to distract someone from taking a penalty. I mean, you can tell for a full 90 seconds, he just stood next to the penalty. Take. I'm like, you gonna move, man? Or you don't think I'd take the penalty? No, I guess not. Uh, yeah, so he's got, you're right, he had some of that ugliness in, in, a, in, in the best possible way. It was great. And, and, and you're right, it is much needed in a generation that, like, you know, you watch, like, the videos that U.S. Soccer put out of, like, you know, uh, George Bello and Gianluca Busio together, and they look, they look like such great guys. And there was another one of Reggie Cannon, Dero Tique. They look, like, amazing. Like, I'd love to hang out. I'd love to grab a beer yeah. at the U.S. men's national team. But every once in a while, I'd also like to think that they'd give me a two-footed <laughs> challenge in training, you know? <laughs> and then, I don't know if you saw it, there was this photograph going around on Twitter of Greg Burhalter when the U.S. scored looking mental and going in the face of the fourth official was there yes. a story there well i think i mean i guess the only story was uh that he was begging for the penalty that eventually came uh against uh, uh that should have gone against eric williamson i don't okay. know if, i don't know what like like the fourth official doesn't make that decision oh he's pointing in his face in particular <laughs> but uh yeah he, he was he was really having a go with that fourth official and uh yeah I, i'm i'm kind of because like greg berhalter also seems like a very sober man right <laughs> just like he's very serious about his work but every once in a while that competitor comes out of him and you can tell all right there's something there's some fire there i hope i hope the players connect with that oh shoot it's absolutely great um yeah um i mean this is going to be an interesting final but we don't know who the u.s is going to play yet uh, if it is USA-Mexico, it'll be the second edition of that great rivalry this summer. Obviously, a, a different situation here, different players, especially for the U.S. Um, and I, I continue to think back to the 2009 Gold Cup where uh, Bob Bradley's team you know, didn't have anything close to an A squad because it was after Confederations Cup had taken place that summer. And in the U.S., held off Mexico I think for about a half of that game it was it was nil nil and then Mexico just went nuts in the second half and won five nil um I'm surely not saying that's going to happen again here but if it is USA Mexico in a very pro Mexico sold out crowd in Las Vegas um that will be in the back of my mind the possibility of uh uh, of a blowout and fully knowing that that may not happen. Yeah, it, for me, it will underscore the absence of Walker Zimmerman because I think in that mm -hmm. game, you probably would have played in a back three or a back five um, to right. try and keep Mexico at bay. I just kind of wonder in general if Greg Berhalter's idea is we need to keep Mexico at bay 
what that even looks like, right? Like, what is the most defensive version of the U.S. men's national? Is it almost playing a fullback at winger, right? Like, do you play like Shaq Muller as your white as your right winger in this next match? I don't, I don't know what the what the answer is there, just in terms of trying to defend Mexico in the game, or do you just stick to the way that Greg Berhalter clearly wants to play? and say, you know, we're going to try and play our game and try and play through pressure, and maybe a team coming at us and pressing us might allow us to open up spaces in the game that hadn't been there to allow Matthew Hoppy to hit on the break and allow uh, players to run in behind, and maybe it changes the game in a, in a positive manner. But um, I, I think if it is indeed Mexico, then you're looking more at negating your opponent, in my view. And then if it's Canada... It's a completely kind of, we saw the game already, it's a 50-50, Mexico, the U.S. started great, then Canada responded, then Canada kind of dominated the game, so uh, yeah, I, I think I think Canada would probably be kind of the most open game, um, and Mexico, you're just trying to hang on. I will say, if you're comparing it to 9 I think the biggest takeaway from this tournament, after five games, is you feel good about the U.S.'s player pool, like the depth of the player pool, even the guys that aren't playing you can, or that wouldn't play in a World Cup squad, you can feel reasonably comfortable if they have to represent the U.S. in Gold Cups and in friendlies and in your, you know, massively stretched calendar. All right, if you need, um, I don't know, Kellen Acosta in a pinch, if you need Nicholas Joachini in a pinch, if you need Eric Williamson in a pinch, like, there's a lot of guys where it's like, all right, if you call them into the full national team, yeah, maybe you're not feeling great about the guys that are hurt or the guys that are unavailable, but they can do a job. And that's an important thing to have, that it's not just about your top 23 guys. Because we saw Qatar tonight, they probably have like 12 or 13 guys. And I heard on the broadcast, they, weren't ta- they were talking about how little they use their subs. And I think you saw a lack of depth really hurt them as they were clearly out of legs and out of energy in the final 20 minutes. Yeah, I, I'm with you on all of that. And I, and I think even before this final takes place, it's worth saying... This was Greg Berhalter's decision to bring in a non-A squad for this Gold Cup and to have the A guys, the A squad for Nations League, and to give them some time off uh, before a crazy stretch starts with a new club season and then obviously World Cup qualifying, what matters most, starting in September. And I want to say this right now. I think Greg Berhalter made the right decision with that this team, not the A team for the U.S., has gotten to the final. They're going to be a pretty significant underdog if it's Mexico. And as long as they show decently, I think Greg Berhalter can feel good about the decisions he's made. Right, especially you know when you see Christian Pulisic start Chelsea's first friendly the other day as a lot of their England-based players are still coming back from the Euros. And you have, you know, guys all over Europe right now that have gotten a head start being with their teams in preseason after guys return from Copa America and from the Euros and are featuring in their in their clubs right now. That's important for Gio Reyna to be there with Dortmund as he gets the number seven shirt off of Jaden Sancho, right? He could eventually play a pivotal role for Dortmund this season and, and, and in the early stages so that he's in full fitness heading into the World Cup qualifiers. I think Berhalter made a great decision here as really probably the only confederation that would even be in this position, right? You play a major international tournament and yet still give the guys a chance for preseason. So when you compare where those guys are at compared to their guys returning from international tournaments, they're just going to be in a completely different position and more likely to start early. I think getting to this final without those guys vindicates that decision. Let's just hope we don't ever see a Gold Cup in July again, much less... A yeah. final in August because have that sucker in June, get the get 
a chance to have the best players involved at the end of their club seasons and then give them a break. This is uh, not an ideal situation uh, at all. But the U.S. is in the final. So uh, 1-0 against Qatar Sunday night, Las Vegas, U.S. facing either Mexico or Canada. Going to wrap up, Chris. Thanks so much for joining me. What time does the U.S. women's national team start? What time do you go again? (laughs) We go again, 7 a.m. Eastern on Friday. Not so not, not, I'll be, not I'll as be bad as it, could have, as it could have been. We've had a 4 a.m. kickoff last game. But uh, we'll have a, a quick reaction podcast with Christine Cupo after that game as well. And stick with us here because we've got an interview with Everton's Michael Keane. Here that comes now. Our guest now is Michael Keane, a center back who's played 12 times for England and is starting his fifth season with Everton, which has been at the Florida Cup for preseason. Michael, thanks for joining me. Pleasure to be here. Nice to speak to you. Yeah, really good to speak to you too. Uh, Getting excited for the Premier League season starting sooner than most of us realize, actually. Your team has been in the U.S. this past week for preseason at the Florida Cup. How has it gone for you during your stay? Been really good. Um, I feel lucky to be able to come over here, to be honest, with everything that's going on in the world. So it's been really nice, a good change of scenery for us. Um, obviously, we've, we have a new manager as well and some new players. So it's been good to spend more time around them and for everyone to get to know each other a bit more. So we've been working hard. Um, obviously, we're not used to, to this kind of heat. So it's been uh, it's been tough for us, but we've been working well and I think we'll feel the benefits when we get home. I was going to ask you about that. In terms of, I used to live in Florida, the heat and the humidity this time of the year is pretty incredible and probably not what it's like in England right now. Is that a good thing for you? Is it too much? How do you deal with it? Yeah, I think it, I think it's good in preseason because um, I think it'll feel easier for us when we get home. And that's what preseason's all about. It is tough. We've been training at 9am, uh, a bit earlier than normal to try and miss the hottest time of day, but it just gets hotter and hotter throughout the whole session. And <laughs> by the end, um, yeah, we're, we're, I think we're all struggling a bit, um, but it's been really enjoyable. Uh, the weather has been has been really good. Um, sort of expected a few more thunderstorms and a bit more rain to cool us down, but it's not quite happened. Um who knows, we might get it tomorrow while we're playing, but it's been, a, it's been a really good trip and everyone's enjoyed it. Nice. You mentioned your new manager, Rafa Benitez, a guy who's won the biggest trophy there is in club soccer uh, with the Champions League. Um, what have you learned about him so far during this preseason? Well, I think he's very detailed in the way he coaches us. Um, I think everybody's going to know exactly what's expected of us. Um, I think we're going to be hard to beat because we've done a lot of work defensively on shape, um, different scenarios of play, counter-attack, stopping the counter-attack, defending in a low block, defending a bit higher, but also on the ball as well. So um, every day is something new at the minute. Obviously, we've only worked with him for a couple of weeks now. So we're still learning. We'll be learning for a long time, but it's been really enjoyable so far. And sometimes a fresh start is good. Um, And yeah, the the signs so far are are positive and everyone's confident and hoping that we can have a better season than last year. Every manager is different. You know, I'm sure you know this. Like, are there any specific things you've noticed just day by day in training about Benitez's process and how he communicates with players? Well, I know he, he can tell he expects 100% 
every minute of every of every training session. Um, there's no way he's going to accept anybody not not trying their best in training, um, which is which is brilliant. You need that um, you need that edge when you train because that's how you you get it on match day. You can't just turn up on a match day and and hope and expect everything to go well. You have to train how you play, and I can tell that he's not going to accept any less than that. Not that any of the lads do that, but he's always on to us and making sure we are, especially in this heat as well, making sure we don't let up and don't take it easy. So obviously I've got a long, a lot of time to, to learn more things from him, but I think straight away you can sense um, that discipline and work ethic are, are massive things for him. When you have a new manager, how do you as a player approach the preseason? Is it any differently than when you have the manager that you'd had the previous season? I think you've got to impress him. Uh, it's sort of a clean slate for, for maybe the players that haven't played a lot the season before. It's a, a fresh start and a new chance for them to impress a new manager and, and maybe try and get, get back in the team again. So it sort of brings everybody back on a level playing field. It doesn't really matter what happened the year before. Um, so, yeah, you have to train really well every day. You have to prove what you can do when you get your chance to play. And yeah, basically, you just got to prove yourself. Um, and everyone's competing for places. Um, and then it's up to the manager at the end of the day. But um, it's, it's, it's been enjoyable. Obviously, we didn't expect to have a new manager this season with, with Carlo leaving. Um, but everybody's relished it so far. And I can, I can, I can see that I think we're, we're going to improve. And hopefully, we can, we can show that this year. It's interesting. I mean, obviously, Benitez has a history with Liverpool. And that's a, a rival team for you guys. Some some Everton fans are, are seem to be very excited about Benitez. Some aren't as happy about it. What would you say to Everton fans who are questioning the hire? I think they have to they have to get behind him. At the end of the day, they're they're Everton fans um, more than they dislike Liverpool. Um, he's a brilliant manager. He's got a great track record, and um, so far from what. I've seen and I know for a fact he'll give 100% for this club, try and make us as good as he possibly can. Um, so it'd be really good if everyone could get behind us from the first game and hopefully we get results early and, and that'll help for a, for a fact. Um, but I think he's, he's a fantastic manager, like you say, he's won it all. Um, and I think if we do well, I think Evertonians will be fine. And even if we don't, I think they should stay behind him because he's a, he's a great manager and, and wants the best for our club. You know, I want to ask about a particular player, Dominic Calvert-Lewin. He's become a terrific center forward for Everton. You have to go up against this guy in training, I assume, on a regular basis. What does he do that makes him special? Uh, I think firstly, he's a, he's a great athlete. Um, he's, he's so fast. He's strong. He's got an incredible leap on him, so he can head the ball really well. So he can he can do everything. Um, he's a nightmare to play against because he, he never stops running. He works so hard, and I think in the last year, two years, his finishing has really improved as well. He, he's getting himself in better positions, goal scoring positions, and more often than not, he's putting him in the back of the net. So um, he's, he's been brilliant for us, uh, and it's down to his hard work. He he puts the time in working on his finishing and working on what he thinks he needs to improve. Um, and I can only see him getting better and better, and hopefully he can, because that'll mean that we'll do, we, we should do better this season. You know, I was mentioning to you before we started recording that here in the U.S., there have been a lot of fans of Everton for quite a while now. I think a lot of that has to do with Tim Howard being there for so many years and Landon Donovan going over on loan a couple of times, a couple other American players, and, and then the club itself, I think, has just earned fans 
what have you learned? This is the start of your fifth season with Everton. What have you learned about sort of Everton in terms of its identity as a club and what it represents? Well, firstly, Everton is it's a huge club. I, I realized that the, the day I joined um, and obviously we've got players from all different nationalities. So we've had obviously some top class Americans play for Everton in the past. So we've got a good following here. Now we've got James Rodriguez, Yerry Mina. So we've got a lot of Colombian fans and um, we've got a, a large number of different, well, people from different countries in our team. So uh, we have support all over the world, but I think within that, we're a proper family club. Everybody gets on really well, looks after each other. I think uh, we connect with the fans really well and the fans respect that. And um, it was great to see them the other night in in Florida and hopefully they'll, they'll turn out again tomorrow to to see us again because we've not been over here for a while and it's uh, been really nice to play in front of them. You know, Everton got off to an amazing start last season, winning its first four games, ended up finishing in the middle of the league in 10th. What would you consider success for Everton in the season that lies ahead? I think our target has to be Europe. It was last year and we were in uh, the European spots for most of the season and, and dropped out at the end, which was really disappointing. Um, I think we, we let ourselves down a bit at certain points of the season and we have to learn from that. We have to make sure we do better and there's, there's no excuses this year. I think we, we've got the experience now. We've been really close to it and fell out. Um, so we want to we want to finish in Europe. We want to play in Europe next year, but we also want to try and win a trophy. Um, we know it's never easy, uh, but it's been too long for this club. And we had a few decent cup runs last year, but didn't quite make it to, um, to set the semi-finals or, or final and if we can do that, then then anything can happen. And if we could win something, then that'd be really special. So I think they're our targets this year. You know, I, I people know who you are. We've, we watch the Premier League over here. We watch a lot of the Everton games. But I know that Everton as a club is is really trying to build its profile in the United States, especially these days. If you were sort of telling your story as a football player personally... How, how do you tell that story about who you are? Uh, how long have you got? Uh, <laughs> it's hard to sum it up um, like without waffling on for 10 minutes. But um, when I was younger, I wasn't I wasn't the best um, compared to other players in my age group when I was at Man, Man United um, from 10 years old. Um, I had to work hard um, and I did. I put the time in, dedication and a lot of sacrifice. Uh, and eventually it paid off, but I had a lot of help along the way with, with great coaches and good family and friends around me. Um, and every time I made that next step, uh, I just kept kicking on and working even harder. Um, it was never enough and kept pushing myself. And fortunately, I've ended up having a good career and playing for an amazing club like Everton. And it's time for me to, to kick on again. I know I can still improve. Uh, I want to help the team. I want to be part of something special here. So I think everybody needs that mentality that we we all need to improve, and if we do, then uh, we'll be much better for it. One thing I, I like to ask everybody I interview, because I'm always curious about, like, what do you think are some of the keys to to being a, a professional, to making this a career, to to kind of, you know, to getting to the point where you've gotten to be where so many young players want to get to? Uh, firstly, I think you've got, you've got to love it. You've got to love what you're doing. Um, because it's all all you do, all you think about most days, most hours of the week. Um, so I think enjoyment is the first thing. But I think um, what's the the word? I'm 
when you get setbacks, I think how you react to that is massive. Um, learning from mistakes and making sure they don't happen again. But well, I don't think any professional player has, has come has come through an academy or got to a top level without having setbacks. I think everybody gets knocked down at some point and it's how you react to that. Um, it's how you make yourself better and, and learn from those mistakes, which, which makes you as a player. What would you say has been sort of the biggest challenge in your career that you've been able to to deal with and overcome. Uh, I think my my first probably my first season at Everton it was a, a rough time for the club. We we didn't have a good season at all. Um, we brought a lot of new faces in, including myself, and things didn't go to plan. Um, so it was tough. We were we were we weren't getting many good results at all, and uh, the mood around the training ground wasn't very good. Everyone was feeling a bit down and a bit sorry for themselves, and that was something I'd never had before. I'd never been a part of something like that, so. It was something I had to, to learn from, um, and when it, it when it happened again, um, you know you know what to expect. You know how to react and and to turn things around. Very random question because I don't know if this show is as popular over in England as it is in the U.S. There's like a comedy show about a soccer team called Ted Lasso that has gotten all these like awards. My, brother, my brother's watched it. I think I've seen one or two episodes. Okay, I was going to ask it's if you've seen any of it and what you thought. <laughs> I, uh, I, I can't remember. He's been watching it, watching it, and I've come in and seen little bits of it. But he keeps telling me to watch it, so I'm gonna have to give it a go. Very funny. <laughs> you should. It is. It's very good. Um, just a couple more questions here with Michael Keane. Really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, the Euros this summer got so much attention everywhere. England got to the final. What were your thoughts about England and its performance at the Euros, and where the national team goes from here? Yeah, I thought they were brilliant. I thought. They handled themselves really well. Um, firstly, off the pitch, with everything that was going on, the way they connect with our home fans. Um, but on the pitch as well, they were under a lot of pressure, uh, playing most of their games at home. And whilst it is an advantage in one way, it brings a bit more pressure because more is expected of you. And I thought they dealt with that really well. Um, I thought they grew into the tournament and got better and better every game. And obviously the final was disappointing. Anything can happen. Um, when it goes to penalties, it's, it's just one of them things. I, I was gutted for the lads and, and for the manager because they, they've done brilliantly and the whole country was behind them and, and proud of them. But it's a, it's a young squad. It's still a young squad. Um, so I, I, I genuinely think they'll get better and better. And the time's coming um, when England are, are going to win something and hopefully it can be the World Cup. How do you feel about your possibilities with the national team? You've had time with the national team over the years. Yeah, I, I still want to get back in there. Um, obviously there's a, a lot of competition so it, it's never easy but it's never going to be when you, when you play for your, your country um, so I'm, I'm willing to I want to fight for my place but I've got to focus on playing for Everton and playing well here first because that's the way I'm going to get into the team uh, so what I can do is focus on that do do my best and, and hopefully if I do I can, I can get back in the squad Just to wrap up here the sport of football keeps growing here in the United States is there anything about it that has stood out to you or that you are curious about? Um, no I've known for a while that it's growing um, my brother's wife's dad is actually manager of Minnesota um, Adrian Heath nice. so yeah yeah um, so my family keeps an eye on it and watch it when we can. So you can see the standards getting better and better every year. Um, and hopefully it keeps growing because um, I think I think it'll be a great for the country. And um, I think it's obviously a really appealing country. So you'll, you'll keep getting better and better players um, over. And if you can keep improving grassroots football, then you'll get your own top class players coming through. So if you can do that, I think in the future you'll have a... a 
a brilliant national team. I have one more question now that you mentioned Adrian Heath. Uh, Everton guy, obviously, uh, in his career. Any good Adrian Heath stories from over the years? Um, I don't think there's many I can tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I can't think off the top of my head. Um, But he's a a really nice guy, yeah, and he's obviously a legend at Everton, so... Um, it's good to be able to to speak to him sometimes and when I moved to the club he, he sort of told me what to expect and, and things like that so it's um yeah it's, it's good to be able to chat to him if I want to nice he's been great down in uh, Orlando when he was coaching down there and he's had success up in Minnesota where he is right now uh, really appreciate you taking some time to speak Michael Keane thanks so much for joining me and good luck this season thanks very much nice to speak to you Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. I'd like to thank Michael Keane as well as producer and pundit Chris Whittingham. If you like the podcast, you could do me a huge favor and hit that subscribe button and provide a rating and a review. I'm back soon with another interview of someone from the soccer world. Be safe, everyone. See you next time. (laughs) 